Uh, shall we pray? Let's pray. Father God, come in our midst. Lord, we thank you that through Jesus Christ we have sure and certain hope in eternal life in you. Lord, we pray that we use this time now to prepare ourselves for it. That your Holy Spirit equips and shapes us and gives us glimpses of your glory. That we may build your kingdom here. Amen. Amen. Um, I was reading um, at the uh, 9.30 service, we do, we do two readings. We do, a, uh, we do an, uh, an Old Testament epistle reading, we do a gospel reading. Um, and the gospel reading we did this morning was about Jesus' triumphal entry into, into Jerusalem. We all know that story, don't we? We'll, do it on, we'll, we'll talk about it a bit on Palm Sunday. But one of the things, one of the things I think is glorious about that story is, um, is how, it, how it ends. Um, so Jesus comes down riding on this donkey. We, we all know these stories. Palm leaves, crowds shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the king of kings. It's an amazing moment. And we realize that as Jesus comes down the mountainside, it's a really steep path. I walk down it. And in front of me is this enormous temple where God himself reigns. God himself lives in this temple according to the Israelite tradition. Jesus starts to work his way way towards it. Jesus, who is this incarnate God-man, the true king of kings, the true laws of lords, is coming towards the temple. And then he sees in the temple yard people selling doves and money changers. And he turns the tables over, tells them all off. He looks round for a whip. One of the Gospels says he can't find a whip, so he makes his own whip. It's very... um, Whips them out and then sits down and teaches the children because... Children like people who have just whipped, the, chased people out with whips. They did children the same all the time, aren't they? <laughs> but this is a culmination of history, of of the kin of kins, the Lord of yours, the host of hosts, coming to the the rightful place that He owns. He's the true temple, coming to coming to the earthly temple, the holy of holies. And it says He gets to the door, and then the Bible says. And because the hour was late, he went back home to Bethany, which is about two miles outside Jerusalem. We miss that. Jesus goes through this thing called a triumphal entry, and it's followed quickly by the, the triumphal... I'll tell you what, guys, it's quarter to five. Should we, should we head off home? We need to get back before sundown. Even Jesus, in the middle of the triumph entry, in the middle of Holy Week, finds enough space and time to retreat. He doesn't feel pressurized to finish the job. He doesn't feel pressurized to, to finish the task. Would you be able to do that? Not that you're Jesus and you wouldn't be do the triumph. Don't, don't pretend you're Jesus. Try to be like him, but not be, pretend you are him. I want to finish it. I'd work to early hours in the morning to get it finished. Anyway, we'll come back to that in a moment. Um, we've been studying Isaiah. Um, and um, Isaiah, in verse 55, as um, 
um, Carolina talked about when she started leading the worship. Isaiah 55 talks kind of about culmination of God coming and the world being put right. We spoke about this a bit last, last week, um, that God puts all things right. And the question is then, is, is why do we need Isaiah 56 that we just read today? Because it, it, it concludes, you know, we have the joy of the law breaking through into all things. You shall go out with joy, you shall be led back in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall burst into sun, it concludes. And the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Suddenly, we're, this culminates there. And then all of a sudden, Isaiah 56 comes back to, this is what you should do, this is how you should live. And the way I've come to understand that is Isaiah 56 gives us this glimpse of glory of when all things are sorted. And Isaiah 56 says, and now here are some principles to live by. Here are some practices that help you remember that future. Knowing that promise, here is what you should do now to shape yourself for that. And there's three things. There are three things that are very different about eternity. Now, I don't know what eternity looks like fully. The Bible gives us glimpses and metaphor and images and, and pictures of eternity. I have lots of questions. I want to know whether there'll be Wi-Fi. That's the Mielio's question. Will I need an umbrella? Surely it's going to rain a bit, because it's like freshly, freshly rained on cut grass. That was so great. But three things I could be sure in how eternity will be different to now is that God will be present with us fully. We won't doubt or query God's presence with us. He'll be fully here. Secondly, all brokenness in society, all problems, all tears will be wiped away. Somehow we'll be unified and there'll be unity. That brokenness between us and our neighbours, brokenness between us and God, brokenness between us and the world will be fixed and restored. And thirdly, we know eternity time won't matter because it's eternity. Kind of obvious, isn't it? I think they're the, three, the only three things that we can be sure from a philosophical standpoint about eternity. Perhaps in your home, you can come up, come up with some more. But those three things, I think, come out in this desire passage. Time comes up again and again and again a theme in a subtle way when it includes the words Sabbath. In each of the stanzas of this poem, Sabbath comes out as a theme. Verse 3 says, Happy is the mortal who does this, who maintains justice, who does what's right. The one who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and refrains from doing any evil. Sabbath is the idea that we rest for a day. Every week, we stop. It seems to be really important to God. Sabbath changes our relationship with time and with work. You know the first thing that God makes holy in the Bible? The first thing that God makes holy is not a, a person 
or a place. It's not a building or a priest. The first thing that God makes holy is time. Right in the beginning of Genesis, God says, set a day apart, and that day is set apart to be holy to the Lord. In Exodus, it's, it's holy to the Lord. Time is separated out. A day is separated out. Uh, the London Diocese run a course. Um, it's called Itch, uh, Your Next Move. Uh, it's for people, for vicars and for curates who are about to apply for jobs to be a vicar. Um, and it's, it's to guide you through the process, which is a bit of a weird job interview. It's not quite like any other job interview. And for the past two years, I've gone to this course. Don't worry, I've gone on it to do some instruction. I'm not looking for a new job. Um, they invited me the last couple of years to go to it and, and talk through my experience of the process of, of getting to be the Vicar of Hampton. How did I end up here? Um, how many application forms did I fill in? How did I do it? We had, I think they learned quite quickly that Cara and I had quite an efficient system. It was designed by Cara. <laughs> um, to make sure that we... Well, yeah, because what happens is you do a curacy which is kind of a, a deputy apprenticeship vicar thing. You're, you're a deputy vicar. You're a curate for three years. At the end of those three years, the Church of England says, if you haven't found a job, you're out of your house. So it's really key. There's this, after two and a half years, the bishop says, go and apply for jobs, but you need a job by the end of, three, by the, end of the, the third anniversary of you being ordained. They don't really kick you out of the house. My friend, they, they, they always look after you. But there, but there is this kind of urgency of finding this, this, this time. And so I, I, I've taught on this course for the past couple of years. I've just done a little half an hour slot of practical experience. I think we had a quite good system. Um, it turned out pretty well. Um, I'm, I almost ran over the area dean on the way to the interview, so that makes an entertaining story. It makes everyone laugh. Um, so there was quite good... And always, I get to the end and say, do you want to have any questions about the process? And quite quickly, the questions are always about, so when you became a vicar, what were, your, what were the first things that you did? What things did you not do for the first year? What, what did you change and what didn't you change? Which in and of itself is interesting that people who are, who are applying to be a, a vicar's job on a course about how to apply to be a vicar's vicar are already asking questions about what do you do as a vicar rather than worrying about the application process. But one of the things I said, I found myself saying, I said, my relationship with time completely changed once I became a vicar. When you're a curate, you have two and a half years in post. And so if you turn up to this church and you think, I really want to see this and this happen, you have to do it really quickly because things in churches move really slow. You know, the first six months, you learn where all the light switches are. Because <laughs> that normally takes about six months. And eventually, it takes a while. If I was the curate of this parish, I would already be about to leave. So I've already done, I've already done the full timeline of curacy. I've been here about two, two years, nine months now. The area dean thought I'd been here five years. I'm not sure that's good news or bad. <laughs> So as a curate, you're always feeling a bit rushed and pressured. As the vicar, guys, I've got to retire in 34 years. <laughs> no one, it's pretty much impossible to move me away from this parish by force unless I do something really stupid or don't turn up for three months. I could turn up one Sunday every three months and it's pretty much impossible to sack me for the next 34 years. <laughs> <laughs> You're stuck with me. Where else do you go after Hampton? Where else has a river, deer park, and a palace? 
And so my relationship with time has completely changed. I don't feel pressure to get stuff done really quickly. I still feel, despite the fact I would have finished my curacy by now, I still feel like we're just getting going, guys. We're just starting the adventure that God's calling us on. My, my relationship with time has changed because that, that sense of time being eaten away really fast in my curacy has gone away. But the time is still being eaten away. My time is still limited. 34 years' time, I've got to retire. Time eats away at us. It's the one resource that we have the inability to grow, to change, to pause. It just keeps going. Rabbi Joshua Herschel says, Time to us is sarcasm. A slick, treacherous monster with a jaw like a furnace, incinerating every moment of our lives. How many of you feel that you just never have the time? You never have the time to get done all those things that you want to do. You never get time to do all those things you think God is calling you to. Sabbath, the pause, the stop, is when we remind ourselves that we are not the saviour of the world. We put the first, have we got the first verses, Jeff, up? Jeff, Jeff did a great job just before. before. Um, the first verses start with saying, Thus says the Lord, maintain justice and do what is right. So that's the things you've got to do. Yeah? You've got to maintain justice and do what is right. But then notice the person who solves the problem. For soon, my salvation will come and my deliverance will be revealed. Can you see the difference there? You have a job to do, to, to maintain justice, to do what is right. You should do that. But you, however much you do that, you won't get to the end of that task. The way that task ends is when Jesus comes and brings his salvation and his deliverance. Sabbath is the time that we pause to go, yes, we've been doing the justice and, and right thing, but we will wait, Lord, and we will trust in you, Lord, to bring about the salvation and the deliverance. Sabbath is when we remind ourselves that we are not the saviour of the world. And there's all kinds of subtle ways that we put ourselves in the, in the salvation position. When I was a um, youth worker, I'd have a team of people that helped out with sessions, weekly sessions, and I'd say to them, I want you to do at least one session a month, because it's about relationship, it's not just about being a body in the room. One session a month, you, you get to know the young people. But no one is allowed to do a session, all the sessions of a month. You must take one Sunday off in a month if you're running the, you're in the youth club, because... Otherwise, you'd quickly start to believe you're the saviour of the young people. And if you don't turn up, it won't go well. Sabbath puts us in our rightful place. We are God's agents on earth. The church is the body of Christ here present, doing the work of Jesus. When you go to work on Monday, you are building the kingdom of God. When you serve and you volunteer, you are making his name known. When you care for your children and your grandchildren, you pass the love of Christ on. Those are good and right things. They are maintaining justice. They are, they are making things right. But we are not the solution. We are not the answer. We are not the final word. Jesus is. We're not the saviors. 
Jesus is. This is why Sabbath is so important in the, in the Christian life. We stop on the Sabbath not because our work is done, but because our work will never be done until Jesus chooses to, to finish it. We stop on the Sabbath not because our work is done. We stop on the Sabbath because however much we try, however hard we work, we'll never get to the end. If Jesus, during the triumphal entry, when he gets to the gates of the temple, if Jesus has enough time to stop and go and take a nap and go back home, then we can stop. The kingdom of God is not reliant on you. And that's the message of Sabbath. Right, I spent far too much time on Sabbath in this passage, but it comes again and again and again. It's a subject we very rarely talk about in church. So Sabbath. Two more things that I want to draw out from this passage really quickly. Um, so time will change in eternity. Brokenness will change in eternity. God will restore that which is broken. It says from verse 3, Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord, say the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I am just a dry tree. The Lord invites, in this passage, foreigners and eunuchs back into the people of God. The curious thing, Deuteronomy 23, clearly says that foreigners and eunuchs, I'll leave you to read it out loud because it's, it's, it's an interesting passage. It's quite graphic. Um, says, says eunuchs and foreigners are not in the, in the people of God. Here, there's a development. In the new covenant, in the new promise, foreigners and eunuchs are let in. There is a radical welcome here that changes. This passage invites, and elsewhere the Bible invites us to be a welcoming people who include and are inclusive of everyone, however broken you are. Whatever your background, whatever your, your country of origin, whatever, however you live, you are welcome here. We, this, it, church invite, this passage invites us to be inclusive. Now, the phrase inclusive in church has changed and developed as we've gone through. There is such a thing called the inclusive church network. And actually, I tend to agree with most of what they say. But the difference with what happens to churches that, that are of that ilk is they say, come, God loves you just as you are. Come and stay as you are. And that's not what this passage says. This passage invites everyone in, but invites people to live God's ways and be transformed by God. Verse 4 says, To the units who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant. The gospel is radically welcoming all people, but it does not allow us to sit and stay the same. Everyone is welcome, but everyone, including all of us, brings some brokenness to God, which God will fix. Verse 6, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it, and hold fast to my covenant. Can you see how that's radically welcoming, 
But it also is quite costly. Dietrich Bonhoeffer coined this phrase, costly grace. Costly discipleship, even. Based on costly grace. That, that actually we come here just as we are. Whatever your background, you are welcome. But you are welcome because I know and I believe that God wants to change and shape you to be more into the likeness of Christ Jesus. Finally, God is not fully with us. So three things are different with eternity. Our relationship with time and work is different. Our relationship with uh, each other, our brokenness is fixed. And finally, we know that God is fully with us. How do we remind ourselves of the fact that God is not fully with us now, but one day we desire he will be? The answer is we pray. All prayer is the declaration of what the world will be like when God is fully here and the desire to see it here and now. We pray as if the world is going to be put right because it will be put right and we desire for that to happen here and now. Lord, we want world peace because one day peace will come. If you make it happen now, we'd be really, really grateful. One day we'll be ruled fairly and justly because Jesus will be in charge. Let that fairness and justice come into the here and now. One day there'll be no sickness and no pain. Please, Lord, bring that now. All prayer is the desire that the future will come into the now. And by the power of God's Holy Spirit, by the providence of God's grace, that, is sometimes, that sometimes happens amongst us. In fact, the Holy Spirit is a foretaste of the presence of God that one day we will fully see. We are transformed by being in the presence of God. This is why we pray. In your home groups, one of the questions today is, one of the questions is, do you really feel prayer makes you joyful? Do you find joy in prayer? When was the last time you were prayed for? When was the last time that you ask someone to pray for you, that you may be transformed by the Holy Spirit into the person that God will one day welcome into his kingdom. When was the last time you prayed for someone? Because we are a priesthood of royal believers. We are all invited to pray for others to be transformed. God is not present with us fully now. We have the Holy Spirit, which is a foretaste for what is to come. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the grave, the same Spirit that started the resurrection that we one day see completed, is here now with us. But Lord, we want more. That's why we sing, come Holy Spirit. Come Lord Jesus. Secondly, we are broken. A corollary of saying that we welcome everyone is that you and I are welcome. Not through our perfections, but through our weakness and our brokenness. One day in Twinkling Eye, we'll be transformed from this imperishable person, sorry, from this perishable person into an imperishable person. From brokenness to life. And finally, rest. But you don't do that through effort, you do it through the grace of God. In resting, the rabbi says, we are forced into an armistice. We cannot hide behind work and business, but must face our hearts 
our fears and our arguments. And, but face them and realize that we are powerless in them. So may we be a people who rest because we know and trust in Jesus Christ. May we be a people who are broken because we know Christ will fix us. And may we be a people who desire God because we know that we have the Holy Spirit now and one day we'll see God face to face. Amen. If you're able, you please stand. I don't really have anything to finish this one. <laughs> Normally I land at a point where I'm like, there's, there's an there's a, there's a action point here that we can pray about. I don't really have that today. So should we sing worship to God? If you, want, if, you want to be pray, if, you, if you want prayer, so we said talk about prayer. If you want prayer, um, if you go to the back, someone will pray for you. Um, if, you're, so, if you're on the prayer ministry team, watch out for people standing at the back looking bored because they're probably waiting for prayer and go and pray for them. Um, that's a bit too informal. That's not how I'm meant to do it, but I'll get, I'll get emails. Email me later. My email is church. <laughs> Let's pray and then we'll worship. Father God, we thank you that you've made us Lord, we thank you that despite that we've turned away from you, you've never turned away from us. That Christ opened his arms upon the cross and welcomed us into his life. We pray you send your Holy Spirit that we may know and trust and hope and be secure in your presence now because we know that you will complete the good work that you have started in us. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.